I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Lazio review episode, and it's brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this review. Mike, welcome back. Joe, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. So I asked you to come on because you follow the Premier League pretty closely as an Everton fan, and we're going to preview the Liverpool match in part three. But we'll start the podcast in both parts one and two with a review of the Lazio match. I'm sure you're already aware, but Napoli won the match 2-1 to one on goals from Minjay Kim and Javicha Claras-Helia after Matias Zakani opened the scoring for Lazio. I want to start with that goal. Felipe Anderson ran at Mario Rui before cutting the ball back to Zakani at the edge of the area. He took two touches before getting the shot off, which suggests that he had a good amount of time on the ball. And it reminded me a little bit of the Lorenzo Colombo goal in the Lecce match, where it just seemed like nobody stepped up on that play. Now, two times is not a trend, but is that something we should be worried about defensively? I don't think it's a a worry, per se. Maybe it's just a somewhat of a concern that could be easily remedied by uh, Spalletti just kind of on the on the training ground. But it wasn't a, a whole chance. It probably wasn't even a half a chance. But Zakani turned and ripped that ball off into the corner, and it looked like three different Napoli defenders were just a, a step late. And I watched that play, as, as you probably did, 
over and over. It, it looks like Rachmani was kind of following Immobile as he kind of curled out wide, opening up space. And at that point, Giovanni Di Lorenzo probably should have stepped forward there. I'd say he it was probably mostly his responsibility, but also Zambo and Gisa had, had an opportunity to close him down as well. And just it's disappointing when three guys have a chance to close someone down and, and nobody does. I think one of the most underrated facets of Chiro Immobile's game is his movement off the ball. And I had noted this as well because you're right, I did watch it over and over again <laughs> to try to figure out what happened. And it looked to me like Di Lorenzo was about to step up, but then Immobile made that run that you referred to and Di Lorenzo just stopped because he also had to, in his mind, defend the pass. He doesn't know if Rachmani's following the player or not. And that did leave the space for the shot. And then if you look at the midfielders, both of them were supporting their defenders. It just so happens that Lobotka had shifted over to support Mario Rui. And Ngisa was tracking back to Mark Milinkovic-Savic, who I'm sure was sort of a, a project, an assignment for our midfield to make sure that Milinkovic-Savic didn't do any damage. And I think that's why Zakani was left unmarked at the edge of the area. And Gisa couldn't get there before he curled the shot around Alex Meret. Do you think Meret could have done better on this play? Uh, I don't know. I, I think a maybe an elite European keeper could stop that just as a just as a phenomenal reaction play. But I mean, if you look at the XG, I, I don't even know what they assigned that chance, but he couldn't have expected it. It was a reaction save, and it was perfectly placed in the far corner. He dove forward, and it was just, it was too good of a shot. It was, it was too surprising of a shot. My take on Moret is if he is a disappointment this season and he costs us points, it's not going to be because he's missing saves like that. I think that's a save that most keepers would, would have a hard time executing. So I don't really put it on Moret. I think that's a fair assessment. I know some fans felt that he could have done better, but like you said, maybe the the elite keepers out there might have stopped that. But I think Donnarumma might have might have stopped that. Sure, someone with you know with that kind of height has a bit more reach. Maybe he was a little deeper, but he also had to be mindful of a potential shot from you know a tough angle. Personally, I don't think he had much of a chance there. Manuel Pascali said during the English broadcast a couple of times that Meret had no chance. Actually, he said Providel had no chance, but I think he meant <laughs> Meret. There might have even been a slight touch off of Kim on the shot. And for what it's worth, Meret did make an important save on Felipe Anderson in the second half. So I'm not going to put too much of it on him. You mentioned the XG. Lazio's XG for this match, I think, was 0.3. So the XG assigned to that chance at most was 0.3, which just tells you it was a, a very low probability shot. Let's move on to the Kim equalizer, which was scored in the 38th minute. Against Lecce, we played our first four corner kicks short and nothing came of them. Mike, Kim showed on this play why we need to play our corner kicks directly into the area. I couldn't agree more, Joe. And please, Spalletti, let's kick more crosses into the area. In dead ball situations, we've got size. We've got a guy like him who just went absolutely beast mode. He just came flying in there, and it was just a perfectly placed 
header. That was really encouraging for me to see because I'd seen him on the old Fenerbahce tape. He's got that in his locker, but what we saw there was was a pretty dominant play. And if we have guys like Ken who are capable of doing that, we need to put more balls into the area. On the Kim goal, I mean, I guess that's why they call him the monster, right? Like, he definitely (laughs) dominated the play there. It was already his second goal of the season, only five matches in, and both were scored with his head. Thank God for the goal line technology, because I don't think that goal would have stood had it not been for the goal line technology, because it was very close. Now, there was some controversy on this play. Maurizio Sadi said in his post-match conference that the goal should have not been allowed because Kim pushed off of Luis Alberto and then Lazio's social media kind of all jumped on that and reporters and, and whatnot. What do you think about that? I watch a lot of football in a lot of different leagues and some that are have a reputation for being much more physical than Serie A. That, I don't see that as a foul in any league in Europe. That just looked look like, you know, just... It's physical in there, and there's a lot of pushing and shoving, and, you know, did what he had to do. He didn't push anyone on the ground. I can't remember who the play, the Lazio player was that that he, he put a hand on, but he had no right to the ball in, in his positioning. I just think those are sour grapes. Yeah, the player was Luis Alberto, who's already not a very physical player to begin with. I think it would have been very harsh to take that goal away. If that's a foul, then there's a foul on every single corner kick that's ever taken because there is some pushing and shoving in the area. You know, sometimes the officials might, if it's excessive, the official might stop the play and have a conversation with some of those players and then have the exactly. corner kick. I, I, at worst, that's a, that's a whistle blown and a, and a re-kick. Yeah, exactly. I saw some Lazio fans comparing it to the Patania goal that was ruled out in the Napoli Monda match, I don't think they were the same thing at all. I think on that occasion, Patania absolutely tossed Rachmani out of the play. Now, obviously, we're going to both be a little bit biased on this, but it was not the same thing as what Kim did there. I mean, you can, it's a contact sport. Players can touch each other. And, yeah. you know, Alberto barely moved. He kind of went down on one knee and got back up again and didn't really complain until after the ball had gone into the back of the goal. So, I think the officials got that one right. Yep. Okay, that will do for part one. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In part two, we'll cover the second half. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, royalties, and commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Okay, let's talk about the second half next. Napoli absolutely stormed out of the gate. We had all kinds of chances in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the second half before Cavada scored an absolute rocket of a goal. Mike, we talk about Kim already in the part one, but it seems like whenever we win, Kim and Cavada are the standout players. What did you think of Cavada's performance? It was interesting, Joe. He, this wasn't just Kavara, but in the first 30 minutes of the game, I thought Napoli was awful. I thought everyone was just off the pace and there, there were a lot of clumsy balls that, you know, missed passes from everybody on, on the squad, even like a Labaka, which is amazing to see. But I didn't really think that Kavara had his best game. He missed a lot of chances. There was that sitter right in front of the goal that, you know, I guess that's a challenging ball, but for a player of Kabara's skill, you expect him to bury that. And the fact that even when he's having an, what appeared to me to be somewhat of an off night, the fact that he is so dangerous and he's capable of that, those killer balls and, and that, that one pirouette play that that he put off the woodwork was just astonishing and i think the the color commentary guy did a great job kind of summing that up where what he uncorked there was unusual and special so i don't think he was at the top of his game but he still you know was able to produce the game winner as well as create dangerous chances. I think he's a phenomenal player and I'm really excited to see what he can do once he gets his feet under him. He's only what five or six games into to Serie A football. I think his potential is just enormous. I think that's sort of a a key sign of a quality player when maybe if they're not at their best or let's say their finishing is not at their best yet they still find a way to get that crucial goal. And I think another important sign is the fact that I didn't think he played particularly well in the previous two matches yet he still has the confidence to take on defenders to do what was a Zidane like uh, roulette they call it in Italy or, or pirouette as you said mm-hmm. before you know the power he got on that shot that hit the upright as well as on the goal was just out of this world a quick comment on the first half hour I think that was largely due to Lazio's approach to the match, which I thought was really interesting. I was surprised that they didn't, you know, for a Maurizio Sadi team, that they didn't press high like Fiorentina did, which we saw was very effective. Instead, they they played very compact in a bit of a mid-block and just sat back and absorbed the pressure. And I guess their strategy was to take away the space. And we saw a lot of horizontal passing between our defenders but we weren't really creating a whole lot in the attack because of that that lack of space. 
But I think where Sadi may have gotten it wrong, and you know, it's complicated because of the fixture list and how many games we're playing. But if the approach was to, and mind you, he probably didn't plan on scoring a goal in the first five minutes of the match <laughs> either. But you know, if your your approach is going to be to score and then just defend and counter, I don't think Luis Alberto is the right player to be in that starting eleven because. He's the type of player that plays better in a more typical Sadi game, which is ball possession, quick passing, creativity, mm. you know, one touch passing, not so much defending. And, and I think even though we struggled to break through, once we did get that first goal and the game opened up a little bit, that's when Lobotka and Angisa and Zielinski really took over in that midfield. And, and we saw, you know, Luis Alberto came out of the match early in the second half when we had that all of those chances, including the couple that Cabarrus Kelly had missed. There was the the one that Politano made a fantastic play to create, to save the ball from going out of play and then slip the ball through for Cabada, but Provedal was quick off his line. There was the one that you mentioned where it started, I think, with Osiman crossing the ball. Provedal blocked the cross. Zelensky got the rebound and put it onto Cabada's foot. And you're right, that chance was a lot easier to convert than some of the other ones he had in the match. And he, and, you know, you could tell from his reaction that he couldn't, he himself couldn't believe that he had missed that one. Yeah, he, he looked like he was getting frustrated by yeah. his, his lack of finishing. Um, yeah. But the thing about that kid, Joe, is that he does not lack for confidence and he's going to keep striking the ball. And that's what, what makes him so interesting and dangerous. What was amazing about the goal that he did score was that. It came off of a corner kick. I think it was shortly after an Osimen chance where Osimen just kind of decided to take everyone on on his own and nearly scored it. The shot might have been missing, but Provedal got a hand on it and went out for a corner kick. And the goal came from that play. And because it was off of a corner kick, all 11 Lazio players were inside the Lazio box. And somehow Angisa managed to spot Kavada at the edge of the area somehow he was completely unmarked with all of those players back and somehow he put that ball with all that power that he put into the shot he put it into a very small window in between two Lazio players I think it was Cataldi and Patrick on that play to get into the back of the goal so that was a really really impressive shot there were two phenomenal plays back to back and Gisa's ability to get on that ball and put it back through such a congested box for one. And then for two, Kavara's ability just to put his laces through that ball and just make such sweet contact that it was a rocket. He hit it clean through the the congested box, but he could easily deflect it in. It was that kind of a ball. Yeah, exactly. When it's hit that powerfully, I mean, even if people get a touch on it, it's, I guess, I suppose it depends on how full of a touch, but it, it could well have just ended up in the back of the goal regardless. Yeah. Now, as as much as Napoli were dominating this match, there was another controversial play, certainly for Laziali, about two-thirds of the way into the match where Anderson played the ball to Manuel Lazzari in the area. It looked like Mario Rui got his elbow up on Lazzari and the penalty wasn't given. I mentioned Sadi's comments after the match. He was pretty furious. Lazio issued a statement as well. What did you think about this play? Did we get away with one here? No. It looked like he was looking for contact. 
he just kind of went down like he was like he was shot and you know making wild gesticulations and Mario Rudy looked like he was completely shocked by the reaction and that, that's usually that's usually a sequence where there's some play acting involved so I, I don't know if Mario made contact with, with his elbow but it didn't merit him going down like he did and I just think that was a desperate ploy to or a cheap penalty again we're obviously biased as Napoli fans but I don't think it was as obvious as Lazio fans thought and they're obviously biased in the opposite direction I think if the penalty was awarded I probably wouldn't have felt too hard done by but I think a few different things went into this decision as you said I think Lazzari went down fairly easily and he does have a bit of a reputation for being a type of player that goes down pretty quickly so that may have factored into the official's decision. Mario Rui definitely had his arm out there and a little bit high, but it looked to me like Lazzari kind of ran into his arm and not that he was elbowed. I mean, I joked with some friends on Twitter that, you know, the way Laziali saw this play was kind of like a, a macho man, Randy Savage sort of flying <laughs> elbow off the top rope. <laughs> you know, it wasn't wasn't quite that. There was definitely no swinging motion. I think if, and to your point about the play acting, I think if Mario Rui had actually elbowed Ladzidi in the face, he would have been down on the ground rolling around in pain. Instead, he just immediately jumped up to his feet and beelined it straight to the official to complain. And Sergei Milinkovic-Savic ended up getting a yellow card for dissent because of all of those complaints. Right. But either way, if there was a clear and obvious error, then VAR would have intervened and called the official over to look at it. A lot of Laziali were kind of criticizing the VAR for not calling the official over. So, you know, it's not that they didn't look at it. VAR definitely looked at the play. They look at, at anything that might be controversial. So either they determined that there was no clear and obvious error or the official just felt that he had a clear enough view on the pitch that there was no need to go to the monitor to review the play. The other thing is the officials have said this year that they are going to let the players play. And we saw that in other matches this round as well. In the Juve game, Cuadrado appeared to foul Sotil in the area and it wasn't given. In the Roma game, Becao appeared to foul Salik in the area and it wasn't given. Now, both of those plays were more shoulder-to-shoulder tackles, so maybe not quite the same thing. But I, I guess... It, I thought it was soft, and in my take is that the official basically just called BS on on the entire the entire effort to to get a penalty. That's what I, I think happened. I think his reputation probably had something to do with that too. But had all the signs of of someone looking for a pin. Yeah, and I think Laziali are a little bit on tilt, for lack of a better term, at the moment because uh, you know I was listening to the Lazio Lounge podcast, which. For anyone who wants the the Lazio perspective on the match, definitely check it out. Those guys do a great job. But one of the things that they pointed out that I thought was really interesting was that in Lazio's last four matches, their opponents have conceded 48 fouls and have had only one yellow card issued against them. So obviously it's one yellow for every 48 fouls. Lazio have made 38 fouls and have had 13 yellow cards. So that's a more than one yellow card for every three fouls, which it sounds like a really wild stat. But I mean, four matches isn't a whole lot. And if we look at how this match went, 
if every time a decision doesn't go a player's way, the the players are going to swarm the official, then, you know, I'd guess that a number of those fouls would have been just for dissent or yellow cards would have just been for dissent uh, towards the official. The uh, quote from Sadi after the match was he said that either those in the VAR booth are bad at their jobs or the alternative is very worrying. So <laughs> I don't think uh, the league is going to take those comments too lightly. We could see a suspension for Sadi for making those comments. Yeah. When you start impeaching the, the league's integrity, you're, you're kind of playing with fire. So it sounds like they have good reason to, to feel that they've been hard done by, by Syria officials through the leagues. And, you know, I hope they're able to turn their fortunes around. <laughs> Last thing I want to comment on <laughs> before we, we close the review portion of this episode is Spalletti's substitutions. He replaced Cavada and Zielinski with Raspadori and Elmas. Interestingly, he switched positions, though. This time he played Raspadori on the wing and Elmas in the middle, which, you know, I wonder if that's a sign of things to come against Liverpool. Those changes were in the 68th minute, and it felt like after Spalletti made those changes, we were very much on the defensive. Do you think Spalletti might have? played it a little bit too conservative taking Cavada and Zielinski off so soon? I think it's pretty tough because like we're going to talk about with Liverpool here in a minute, I think these managers are, are having to to manage minutes for their squads right now because the schedule is so congested with fixtures to make room for the World Cup that I think those guys are definitely going to play against Liverpool this week. And I think going in, I think it's likely that he, he wanted to, to play those guys 60 minutes and then give them a rest to have an important fixture against Liverpool at the Miranda. I think so as well. I think it's a delicate balancing act, just like with rotating the squad against Lecce, right? Like we criticize Spalletti for perhaps rotating too much, but maybe that's why we played so well in this match because Sadi didn't rotate at all with the squad that he played against Sampdoria midweek and they did look a step behind so I think there is a bit of a balancing act with who to start when to make changes and I think as long as we have Kim and Rachmani playing the way they played at the back in this match we can probably afford to uh, play a bit more on the defensive because I thought both of them were were really outstanding that will do for part two in part three we will preview the match on wednesday napoli's return to the champions league against liverpool with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content including at ForzaNapoliPress.com. So let's close the podcast with a preview of our match against Liverpool. 
Mike, I mentioned at the top that you're an Everton fan, so you're doubly biased for this preview. <laughs> but but because you follow Everton, you follow the Premier League, which means you know more about Liverpool than I do. Now, Liverpool have not started the season particularly well, certainly not by their standards. They have a record of two wins, three draws, and one loss, which amounts to nine points. That's good enough for seventh in the league, tied with Brentford. They're already six points back of league leaders Arsenal and five points back of City and Tottenham who are in second. Mike, what's going on with Liverpool at the moment? First of all, Joe, you're right. I I hate Liverpool with the heat and fire of, of a thousand suns. So I love to see them lose, and I would love nothing more than to see them lose three to nil at the Miranda. So I hate these guys, and um, I, actually, I, I know quite a bit about them because being the Premier League and, and being Everton's main rival, we just had the Merseyside Derby on, on Saturday, so which Everton was able to, to draw nil-nil with them. So I'm, I'm current on, on Liverpool. They've been they they definitely uh, struggled to start the Premier League season. They are definitely out of form. There's a number of reasons for that. One of them is would be familiar to Napoli fans, which is they've had to turn over their squad. If you think about about Liverpool back a couple of years ago when they were at their absolute Imperia's best, winning the the Champions League, Jurgen Klopp has a distinct uh, gig and press style, and they're all about pace, pressing, counter pressing fast transitions in attack. They've got world-class attackers. And their big three, at, you know, for a long time has been uh, Sadio Mane out wide to the left. Roberto Firmino um, is sort of a kind of a glue, a kind of link-up guy forward, or you're essentially forward. And then Mohamed Salah, which was sort of plays on the right in the half space with Trent Alexander-Arnold the right back who really plays as a right winger overlapping and sitting in crosses. So that, that is sort of the, the classic kind of modern Liverpool attack. And they've had to, to turn over that front line. I'm sure everyone's aware that Sadio Mane, he wanted out. He's at Bayern meeting now. They sold him to Bayern for about 35 million pounds, I believe. And then... Roberto Firmino, he, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's been injured a lot more and you know less fit, less available. So they've had to bring in replacements or, or eventual replacements. On the left, Luis Diaz, the Colombian. He was at one of the Portugal clubs, but uh, Luis Diaz is a, is a world-class left winger, and he's just had an amazing, phenomenal start to his career at Liverpool last year. And I think the year before that, they brought in Diego Jota. And he can play centrally or sometimes on the left. And then this last summer transfer window, they brought in a really big signing. who is Darwin Nunez, the Uruguayan striker from Benfica for a fee of $85 million. So, but what, what's interesting about, about Darwin Nunez is he doesn't fit the mold for how 
Jurgen Klopp is, is built his attack. Darwin Nunez is a is a classic number nine target man goal poacher. He's, he's like six foot two. He's massive, and that is not the type of player that Roberto Firmino is and, and was. So Roberto Firmino he he likes to drop deep. He's really involved in link up play. He's kind of the glue that stitches together the attack from right to left and. I think that so far, aside from injuries, which is another part of their problems, which we'll talk about in a second, but just the change in, in structure with a classic number nine, Darwin Nunez, I think has changed their attack and it's less cohesive. And, and I think one person that is definitely suffering from this change in, in attack is Mohamed Salah, who... You know, I was watching him in the Merseyside Derby this weekend, and they have him playing extremely wide. It almost looks like Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Mohamed Salah are inverted, and he's just struggling to get in the attack. He's not banging in goals anywhere near like he was towards the end of last season. So there's some really weird things happening there. And then the second part of it is they've been – Fairly devastated by injuries. Jordan Henderson, I think he's the captain of the team in sort of the rock in the midfield. He is out. Curtis Jones has been out. He's an important piece for them. He might be back. He's back in training. Thiago Alcantara, who is a possession killer pass kind of a, a offensive mid, creative offensive mid, which I think is a lot like the mold of Fabian Ruiz. He's out. Diego Jota has been out, although he, he's back in training and made an appearance towards the end of the Everton match this weekend. Nabi Keita's out. It's been a much thinner squad for Jurgen Klopp, a, a lot less pieces to draw from in creating his lineups. So that definitely has a lot to do with it. And then also, I think they, they lost Darwin Nunez for two matches over a red card. And Nunez has turned out to be pretty easily provoked. He, he looks like he's kind of a, a hothead on the pitch. So I'm not sure that we have the center backs, Joe, that are able to get under the skin of a guy like that. But I know a lot of center backs in the Premier League are really trying to pester that guy because you don't know how he's going to react. But it, it definitely has been disappointing for them. So I think it sets up this fixture with Napoli in a very interesting and unpredictable way. And when you look at the Champions League draw in the group and the group fixtures that Liverpool have to prepare for. This one at the Miradona versus Napoli is probably by far the hardest fixture that they have to contend with. So I think if you asked Liverpool fans, would they be content with a point away at the Miradona, kind of at the start of this group stage? I think they'd say yes, very much so. And part of that factors in the, the history of Napoli. You definitely have played, been matched up against them in Champions Leagues in the past, and they found us to be a pretty tough competition in European play. So their record is, I think, two wins, three draws, one loss. 
through six games, that almost puts them out of the Premier League title race already. It is of primary importance, critical importance, that they start to win Premier League matches. And when you put that in light of the injury issues that they're dealing with, I think it's really hard to to predict how they're going to approach or how Jurgen Klopp is going to approach this match. And I wouldn't be surprised at all, Joe, if they are just set up pretty conservatively and might be playing for a clean sheet. That's interesting. I mean, the three draws were against not the most difficult competition, with all due respect to your Everton. Although Everton probably deserved to win that match. They uh, created so many chances and just couldn't seem to... I agree. Beat, I feel hard done beat by the, ...beat the bar or, or you know, find the back of the goal. Yeah. Um, the other draws were against Palace and Fulham. So all teams in, in sort of the bottom half of the table. The loss was against Manchester United, who's a club that's in chaos, though they have managed to reel off four consecutive victories. It turns out that you can do a lot better when you don't start Cristiano Ronaldo or if he's just not there altogether, but he, he's or, back Or now. if you have a billion-dollar squad, Joe. Yeah, yeah, that helps as well, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to touch on a couple of the points that you made. Um, you mentioned the fit of Darwin Nunes compared to Firmino. You know, everyone's talking about Salah's production going down, and I was wondering if that was partly to do with Mane leaving as well. I mean, Mane has continued to score at Bayern, but I don't know. You know, I don't follow Germany that closely, but I imagine, you know, Bayern are probably just maybe already won the title and scoring there is not as difficult as it is scoring in the EPL. But he's got, I think, five goals in seven matches in all competitions. Salah, three goals in seven matches in all competitions. Nunez is doing okay, two goals and an assist in four appearances. But as you said, he missed three matches because of the red card for headbutting Joachim Anderson in the Crystal Palace match. So things haven't exactly been going Klopp's way this season. He talked about the injuries, you know, other than that sort of 9-0 slaughtering of Bournemouth. You know, that's the one game that went well for them, but everything else hasn't been great. With the injuries, it's a couple of seasons ago, Liverpool had an injury crisis, at least at center back, and they ended up finishing, I believe, third that year, but they were something like 16 or 17 points off of City, who won who won the title that season. So, yeah, it, I think Klopp finds himself in a, a curious position because, yeah, as you said, on one hand, he may have to focus on improving in the standings and in the domestic competition and, and therefore may go with a more conservative approach in this match. Do you think possibly an alternative sort of to redeeming their season would be to try to win the Champions League? Yeah, I, I think so. But I would suspect that Klopp knows that he doesn't have the squad and he doesn't he doesn't have the, I guess, fitness of the squad to realistically win the Champions League this year. This is a transitional year for Liverpool. And, you know, I, I've listened to, to their podcasts and after the Everton podcast and ahead of the, the Napoli Champions League fixture. And uh, it, it really sounds to me like they are, are laser focused on the Premier League and they've got some must wins. I don't think they view Napoli at the Maradona as a must win. I think the Wolverhampton Wolves this Saturday at Anfield is a must win. I think Ajax next Tuesday at Anfield is a must win. 
And they're slowly getting back some of their important players like Tiago Alcantara and Curtis Jones are, are now back in, in training. I don't think they're going to, to risk their recoveries on trying to go all out for a win against Napoli away in, in the very first fixture of the group stage. That's my opinion. You talked about the way they play, their style of play. Watching that Everton match, it reminded me a little bit of the way Napoli play, although probably more intense. I mean, they line up in a 4-3-3. They like to dominate the ball. They like to move the ball quickly. They move a lot off of the ball. One player that concerns me from sort of a matchup standpoint, well, I guess, I mean, (laughs) I'm concerned about him, but he's also a liability for Liverpool is Trent Alexander-Arnold because, you know, going forward, he's such a dangerous player on that Liverpool right wing. As you said, he plays like a winger. And he can seemingly cross the ball from anywhere on that wing. He he played a cross in that Everton match from practically the corner flag, and he put it right on the player's head. So I think that could be a bit of a matchup challenge yeah. for Mario Rui if we start Mario Rui, which we'll get to in a second. But on the flip side, I think he has become a bit of a defensive liability for Liverpool and matched up against Cavada on our left wing might actually play to our benefit. Yeah, so you basically read my mind in in how I think about this matchup. And you're right that the attack so often goes down the right flank for Liverpool through Trent Alexander-Arnold, usually overlapping with Mohamed Salah and putting in crosses. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mohamed Salah matched up against Mario Rui is kind of a scary matchup to me. I do think those guys are going to start, and I think that's going to be a pretty important matchup. I think it's important that that Labaka slots over there and puts in a a really good match in defense and and trying to break that up. We don't really know what we're going to get from Kim Minjay yet, but this is a very important match for him. I I think a couple players who we're really going to see what they're made of uh, in this match is one, Marguerite, two, Kim Minjay, and then three, Alex Moret. And I think Alex Moret has, has started the season admirably. I think he's made very few mistakes and has generally, you know, made the right decisions and has been, you know, more confident um, in his play than I expected him to be. But he hasn't he hasn't faced competition with with the quality to put very difficult shots on goal that that even an out-of-form Liverpool have. So th- this is a very important fixture for Alexander Murat to see you know, what he's made of. I think his confidence is growing between the save he made against Monza on the penalty and then he also made that big save I mentioned against Lazio. I don't know if you saw the team celebrating with the away fans after the match, but I've never seen him sort of pumped up like he was after after a win like that. So hopefully his confidence is growing, but absolutely this will be a true test for him. Let's talk about the starting lineups quickly. And since you've been talking mostly about Liverpool, I'll let you predict Napoli starting 11 and then I'll give you Liverpool's and you can correct me where I get it wrong. So I, I put more thought into Liverpool's. I just kind of assumed, and maybe this is a wrong assumption, but I thought the Leche game was, was such a mess and disaster for Napoli that 
I just kind of assumed that we were going to see the exact same starting eleven that we have for all but one of our of our matches this season. And I do think that they're going to or Spalletti is going to uh, substitute pretty liberally, but I'd like the subs that we brought in, but they just are not ready for prime time. So I would hate to disrupt the cohesion that we have with our, you know, nailed on starting 11. Maybe I'm way off there, but that, that was kind of my impression. I think you're spot on, actually. You know, this is Napoli's first Champions League match since we lost to Barcelona in the round of 16 in 2020, which was played at the end of that season because of COVID. So I don't think Spalletti is going to roll out the Lecce squad for such an important match at home. I think he's going to go with a, a pretty similar squad to the one that he fielded against Lazio, kind of roll with that momentum. And also they've shown to be the more reliable squad. I think we might see a couple of changes. Maybe we see Matthias Oliveira because of that matchup with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mosala on that wing. He's a bit of a, a bigger tougher defender he might be able to keep up with them a bit better and also it'll be an opportunity for Mario Rui to rest I don't think we're going to see any change in the midfield I think that's a pretty critical part of of this match of any match really and so far Ndombele hasn't looked convincing enough because he would be the one guy that possibly comes in maybe Elmas but I think the midfield will stay the same we'll definitely see Politano starting over Lozano after that that head-to-head collision he had with Madusic that's a good point. Chukilzan is not going to be available. so But I don't see Politano as being much of a drop-off at this point. So I think he's definitely going to start on the right. And then I think if we were in the middle of the season and Oliveira had more experience, I think he would start this match. But I just don't think that we've seen enough of Oliveira for Swatch mm-hmm. to get in the confidence in what is – going to be an extremely challenging assignment against that right-sided attack by Liverpool. There have been some rumors that Osiman might have a muscle issue. So if he can't play, then we could see either Raspadori playing as a false nine or Simeone coming in. But um, hopefully Osiman is good to go. I mean, part of the reason why he was so eager to stay with Napoli for this season was because of the fact that they're playing in the Champions League. So I think he would hate to miss that opportunity. You mentioned that you've put a lot of thought into Liverpool starting 11. So I'll let you go ahead and and give me your thoughts on who Klopp is going to field for this one. I tend to think that Klopp is going to try to set up conservatively, not just for this match, but in terms of preserving or keeping some powder dry for these critical fixtures and these guys that are, are, are working towards fitness. So it, I think it's somewhat unpredictable, but you know, from the back, Allison, he's the nailed on keeper. He's world class. He's one of the best in, in the world. And it's going to be very hard to put anything past him. I do think that Trent Alexander Arnold is going to start on the right. And then you've got Virgil van Dijk, who, you know, he's a world class player, although he has not been, um, particularly in form. You know, he, he almost. <laughs> He should have been red carded in the Everton match for a bad challenge that he put on Onana. But he's a nailed on starter as well. On the left, Jurgen Klopp rested Robertson, who he, he's going to start this for sure. He's a class player. And then I think the other center back is going to be 
either Joe Gomez or uh, or Joseph Matip, and I think it's probably going to be Matip. And then the midfield is the kind of the, the difficult one to predict, and I think that their midfield is, is a big problem. They lost Wayne Aldum before last season. Thiago Alcantara is... He's back in training, but I don't think he is going to be able to start this. It's possible that Curtis Jones, he, he's been back in training as well. If he's available, he, he will definitely start. I think Fabino will start, and then I think Harvey Elliott is going to start as well. But part of the lack of cohesion in their attack and their inability to transition as quickly and aggressively, I think, is in some of the weakness that they have in their midfield right now. I think it is possible that you might see James Milner start in, in place of Fabinho. He doesn't particularly scare you, but he's a solid player. They also acquired Arthur Melo from, from Juventus, who he hasn't played any minutes for them, so I think it would be very difficult to throw them right in, or for Klopp to throw them right in. Champions League football after Maradona. So I'm thinking it's, the midfield is going to be those three that I mentioned. And the front line, I think, is also difficult. I think I think you're going to see Luis Diaz uh, start again on the left. But I think that he's probably got 60 minutes in him before they take him off and Klopp puts on Diego Jota. The interesting Decision is going to be whether to start Firmino or Darwin Nunez. Again, Darwin Nunez, I think, is kind of struggling to integrate into the squad. And I think they're struggling to adapt to a new form of attack. I tend to think that Klopp is going to go with Firmino and then Salah's going to come on the right. But you're going to see a bunch of substitutions, I think. Not just because it's possible that whatever Klopp dials up doesn't work against Napoli, but but also because they just need to manage minutes. So I think they're probably going to really respect the ability of Napoli to play compact and encounter with Victor Osman, especially with long outlet balls to him. But also I think Kvartskalia has put enough on tape for them to really have to respect him as well coming down on the left, in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. And that's a really interesting two-way matchup because they're going to want to attack down the right, but they're leaving a bunch of space to exploit by a guy who's definitely in form, even if he's only you know six games into major division European football. So I think it's a fascinating matchup, and uh, I'm really interested to see which way that Klopp goes on his front line. And I think, I hope it's Darwin Nunez, but I think it's going to be Roberto Firmino. I think I agree. I think uh, Firmino's the experienced guy, plenty of time playing in the Champions League. It seems, you know, difficult, as you said, difficult match at the Maradona, tough, hostile environment. There's going to be probably a sold out crowd there. So Firmino seems like the safer play. And as you said, that's sounds like Klopp is going to go take a bit more of a conservative approach for this one. We're almost out of time, but do you want to make a quick prediction before we wrap it up? Oh, you, you put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> again, if you see Klopp take off Trent Alexander-Arnold early, 
maybe replace him with the Joe Gomez. I think that means that he is playing for a draw. Although I think he's he's going to start out trying to play their game and, and to see how it goes. And, you know, obviously I think a big matchup in this game is Victor Osteman versus Virgil van Dyke on those kind of long outlet pass counter attempts. They're, you know, they, they like to possess the ball and, and play with a high line in the opponent's half. And I think that you're going to see them do that early, but, you know, we can draw some blood on them. And if you see Alexander get subbed off, I think that means that they are going to pull back and, and try to play for the draw. So I think sold out crowd at the Maradona, I think that Napoli is definitely going to be up for it. And I think they are going to be able to put at least one goal past Allison. So I'm going to go 1-1 draw at the Maradona. Okay, that's exactly the same thing that I was going to predict. Yours is a lot more informed than my prediction. (laughs) Mine is really just off the top of my head. I think, you know, historically, Napoli have fared well against Liverpool at home. I believe it's two wins and a draw. It's the opposite of Anfield, two losses and a draw there. I'm a little bit worried about Spalletti also taking a conservative approach. I mean, he tends to err on the side of caution for these big, big matches, particularly in the early stages of the competition, whether it's Serie A or Champions League or Europa League, whatever it might be. So, you know, with Spalletti playing conservative, with what it sounds like Klopp playing conservative, it sounds like a a low scoring draw is a a realistic uh, outcome for this match. Mike, that's all we have time for today, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thanks again, Joe. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it always is. You can find Mike on Twitter at helmetboy underscore Texas. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. I will be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one because the matches just don't stop, which is against Spezia. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.